0: Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here and those joining us with our online campus over at Bush Lake and West Tonka. It's so good to be together. My name is Zach and I have the joy of serving here as one of the pastors at Westwood. And today we are wrapping up our sermon series called Rhythm, Living in Step with God. It's been a great series over the last several weeks. But as I've really started to think through, what does it mean to live in rhythm with God? I I was really captured by the last sentence, the last phrase in in that sermon title. It means living in step with God. Uh, Okay, it's really living in step with God that I, I really think that we could say this, a life in step with God means a life lived with purpose. I think that whenever we live in step with God, that we're gonna have a magnificent impact on the world all around us, that a life lived in step with God means a life lived with purpose, a life lived with calling, a life lived with meaning. And as I was preparing for this message today, uh, I remember hearing a story of someone who had purpose and calling clarified in their life, and it came during the Holocaust. A number of Jews were able to really understand their, their purpose and their meaning in life. And there was one inmate in particular, one person who navigated the concentration camps of Auschwitz and Dachau, uh, just with with this this incredible grit and determination. Uh, This man was the man named Viktor Frankl. And in his book, he wrote in The Man's Search for Meaning uh, that it was his purpose and calling that helped him navigate through those treacherous and heinous times. But here's a little bit of context for Frankl. While he was in the camps, uh, his wife, Mother, father, and brother all were killed. He witnessed sickness and starvation. He saw many friends who unfortunately took their lives because the toll was so high. And yet, he knew his purpose. And in his book, he recounts how there were two men in particular who were on the verge. They were contemplating taking their lives to escape that moment, but they ultimately didn't because they had something on the other side of the Holocaust that was gonna pull them through. One man said, I have a son, and I wanna see my son. That is my purpose for living. Another man was a famed scientist, and he said, there are still many books to be written and finished. That was his purpose. And Frankel said these words. He said this, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Once you have defined your aims and what you want, it is easier to deal with doubts. It's easier not to get distracted from what is important. It's easier to keep your focus and keep moving forward. And so when you have your why, when you have your purpose, when you have your calling in life, it's easier to navigate whenever any how, any difficulty is thrown your way. Uh, but I think a lot of times this is a, a great question that we kind of come to because if you're anything like me, maybe you ask this question well, what then is my calling or my, my purpose in life? Uh, maybe you're thinking to yourself, am I really putting my hand, my time, my energy to the right things that bring the biggest impact? Maybe for others of you, you think, uh, when it's all said and done, well, I have made a significance and an impact on the world all around me. Uh, we all have this yearning to uncover why we are here, why do we exist? And so it's because of all these questions that I wanna look at this one question today, and it's this, how can I clarify my strength and my purpose in life? Okay, so how can you clarify your strengths and your purpose and calling and life? Uh, what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, we're going to be looking at a story from 2 Kings uh, chapters 22 and 23. It's the story of the life of a guy named King Josiah. He was the king of Judah at that time. So I invite you this week, uh, dig into 2 Kings 22 and 23. But as we look at Josiah, we'll realize that he had a calling. He used his strength to honor God. And we'll see within his life really two key ideas. We'll see first he had a posture and second he had three practices. So two ideas today that we're going to be looking at, one posture and three practices that we can apply to our life today. Now, this series that we've been in, this series on rhythm, has really found its grounding in the biblical text called the Shema. It means to listen to God. It's our theme verse for the year. And it's been our custom over the last several weeks to actually read Deuteronomy 6. And so you'll see it there on the screens. Let's unite our hearts and our voices together. Let's read this. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at what it means to love God with your heart and with your soul. And today we are landing on loving God with all of your strength. And this word for strength in the Hebrew is the word me'od, okay? Now you gotta kind of like get it deep in your gut there, but say me'od with me, say me'od. Let's try one more time, say me'od. There it is, all right. Now me'od is is really important because if we were to summarize me'od, Uh, we could say maod or strength means muchness. Okay, strength or maod means muchness. And it's like, oh, that's really neat. That's cool. How did you get that? What what does muchness mean? Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Because strength here doesn't necessarily just mean the muscles in your arms or in your legs, but rather what uh, Moses is getting at the writer here is he's saying, love the Lord your God with all of your muchness. With all of who you are, knowing and loving all of who God is. So muchness really then ties into our purpose and our calling. So strength and, and, and purpose, mayode and purpose are synonymous with one another. That's why they relate with each other. And so with all that said now, uh, let's turn to the life of Josiah. But before we can really dig into how he loved God with all of his strength and how he leaned into his purpose, what we see is how he started. He didn't really start out in an advantage state. Uh, Because his family, the lineage before him, he he really had kings and and grandfathers and fathers who were awful, terrible kings that led poorly. In fact, here's what's said about his grandfather. Look at these words. It says, Manasseh, which is Josiah's grandfather, he was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was, say that with me. I'm kidding. You don't have to say that one. Hephzibah. (laughs) And he, Josiah, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations. The Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Now Manasseh's son, Amon, who came right after him, he, he didn't do much better. In fact, both of them, they had forsaken God, they bowed to other idols, and they didn't shema, they didn't listen or obey God. And so they committed themselves to false worship and detestable practices, Now, what are these detestable practices? It doesn't say here in this verse, but if we read on, uh, really what it is is they're worshiping other gods and in their worship, they were sacrificing their own children. Okay, that's the the type of of religious uh, posturing that these kings had. And because of their posturing, they actually influenced the rest of the posture of the nation of Judah at this time. So this was the prevailing thought, the prevailing religious practice throughout the, the nation at that time. But it wasn't just an internal posturing, there was also external pressure that they felt. Uh, You see, the nation to the north of them uh, had just been wiped out by the Assyrians. And there's another nation rising up called the Babylonians, and because of their disobedience to God, to the one true living God, the Babylonians were about to come in and wipe out their country. Internal posturing was off, external pressure, pressure began to abound. All because of these kings and these leaders and their terrible leadership. But but I think it's important to note this because during chaotic times and chaotic environments, Josiah rose to power. And don't you think it's interesting that whenever our world seems like it's in shambles, that's when leaders rise up. Whenever hope seems lost, that's when we need to lean into our calling and our purpose and our strength. And so we begin to see how Josiah started off. Uh, You can see his life at the beginning. It says these words, it said, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Okay, a couple of observations here. It said, Josiah began to reign as king when he was eight years old. Okay, no pressure, but what were you doing when you were eight years old? Okay, I was watching Saturday morning cartoons. Heck, I still watch Saturday morning cartoons, okay? Okay. Uh, but you can see that he stepped into this. But, but not only that, you, you can begin to see uh, that Manasseh and Amon, it said that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but now Josiah did what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord. And, and so I think maybe just another sub-point that we can understand is that, that God's provision can break generational habits. Okay, God's presence and God's provision and his goodness can step in and, and break generational habits that we might succumb to. But we see how Josiah began his birth, but now let's also look at how he ended the bookmark of his life. These are words probably spoken at his funeral. It said, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did. Now here's where it sounds familiar. With all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength, his maod. He did this in accordance with all the laws of Moses. And so as I think about Josiah, I think about another book by Stephen Covey. He wrote in the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said, as you're trying to discern your calling and purpose in life, he said, start with the end in mind. Okay, imagine yourself getting in the car and driving to a a church or a chapel for your own funeral. Okay, kind of morbid, I know, but think with me for a second. As you're sitting there, what do you want people to say about you? What do you want people to say about how you were as a parent, as a spouse, as a son or a daughter? How do you want people to say about your work ethic and how you love people and what that looked like, how you treated people? But here's the thing, okay? This isn't just Viktor Frankl. This isn't just Stephen Covey. This isn't self-help and self-leadership. This is how God wired and created us that as we are created in the image of God, we all have eternity set in our heart, longing to make an impact and longing to live with purpose in our lives. And so we see this in Josiah, that he used his strength, his mayode, his muchness, all of who he was, he knew his calling and his purpose. And so now we come into seeing how he bookended his life but not what he did in between there. He had one purpose and three practices. Uh, I'm sorry, he had one posture and three practices. But let's look at this first one, this, this posture that Josiah had. Uh, we could ultimately say Josiah's posture was this, a, a clear purpose takes a responsive heart posture to the presence of God. Okay, a, a clear purpose in life takes a responsive heart posture to the presence of God. And so it's a heart that's open and, and, and available to where God is leading us. And so we can see this in Josiah's leadership, the way that he led and the way that he looked at people. Uh, look at these words from 2nd King 22. It says, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, he says, I have found the book of the law and the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan who read it. And then Shaphan read from it In the presence of the king. And so the law had been lost for decades and now it's being read and Josiah, he hears the law read and here's his response. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Okay, that's not the practice for you today, all right? I'm not saying tear your robes, okay? But but what is it really that Josiah is doing? Okay, just a reminder, for 70 plus years during Manasseh and Ammon's reign, uh, they they turned away from God and it's believed that though the law may have been passed down orally by oral tradition, the law was lost. And now he's sending people in to rebuild the temple and they discover the law. They come back. Not only do they find it, but they read it. Not only do they read it, but they obeyed it. They listened to it. And and then it says Josiah tore his robes because of this finding. And and in the, the Hebrew context, whenever someone tore their robes, it typically symbolized repentance. Okay, my friend Ben Rosenbush says repentance is basically them saying, oh no, what have we done? All right, and so repentance for him meant that he changed his mind, and I think that he really had two realizations. Number one, he came into the realization that they had been disobedient from God, that they had not been listening, that they had not shemaed God. And at that moment, he came into an encounter with the presence of the one true holy God. And God's muchness met his muchness. And much like we just sang about how great is our God, he was undone by the presence of God. That's why we say a clear purpose, a clear calling, takes a responsive heart to the magnificent and the awesome presence of God. But that's the first thing. And as his heart was was pricked and stirred by God's presence, he also had a second realization. He saw how the the nation, how the country was living in disobedience. So his heart was stirred and his heart broke for his people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so his heart was stirred for God and for others. But then we see God really recognizing his heart. God said these words to Josiah. He says, because your heart was responsive. Do you see that there? Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, he says, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. And so because Josiah had a humble and a responsive heart to the presence of God, because he tore his robe in repentance, God says, I hear you, I see you. And I, I think that this is so key because a lot of our purpose and calling really begins first and foremost with the heart that is stirred, Okay, it's a heart that is stirred to God and his glory and to the good of those around us. And so whenever we think about our purpose and calling in life, just the simple question that you can reflect on is this, what stirs your heart? Okay, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know what my calling is. Just answer that first question. What is it that stirs your heart? Maybe put it another way. What is it that keeps you up late at night? Because we can see here, Josiah was kept up late at night for God and for his people. What stirs your heart? You know, when I think about my own life and, and kind of how I've navigated uh, kind of purpose and, and, and strength in and my own life, I think about how I grew up. I grew up down in Texas and, you know, went to church a little bit and kind of knew the stories of the Bible, but never was really able to connect the dots and, and bring it together. And so since I didn't really understand the Bible, I didn't engage the Bible and I didn't read the Bible, but it wasn't until my freshman year in college that I had an encounter with the presence of God where his muchness and might and awesomeness uh, came into contact with my muchness. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went off and I was like, this is amazing. It started to make sense to me. And because I saw so many people who had a similar story to me where they didn't read the Bible because they didn't understand it and they didn't want to engage with it, that stirred my heart. And so when I get invited to to step in and and to to teach and and to preach, I get just lit up because I'm like, yes, this is my opportunity. I want to speak and teach in such a way that it's clear and it's compelling and it's centered on the gospel. And my hope in prayer is that when you leave, you don't leave saying, man, I really like Zach's sermon. My hope is that you leave thinking to yourself, my heart is stirred to know and love Jesus even more. Okay, amen to that. Let's go. It's getting hot up here. Is my forehead shimmering in the light? Might take this jacket off. (laughs) Woo, Lordy. (laughs) So what stirs your heart, friends? What keeps you up at night? Because the reality is if if we can't identify what stirs our heart, then the practices aren't gonna take us anywhere. Uh, We're just gonna run out of motivation. So what stirs your heart? That's the first thing. That's the heart posturing that we see in Josiah. And that's the same for you. But after we experience this deep heart motivation, now we can step into the three different practices that we see Josiah utilizing in his life. And so the first thing that we see, the first practice in Josiah is that he committed his entire life to reform, to this religious reform. I mean, think about how long it took him to undo 70 plus years of religious disobedience and awful leadership. It took most of his life. Uh, and here's what it looked like. He took over at eight years old, and he led roughly for 31 years. And so for 31 years, until he was 39 or 40, somewhere in that range, this was his calling. This is what he did. Okay, but look at what he did after he was eight years old. It says this, in the eighth year of his reign, so now he's probably about 16, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his 12th year, So, you know, give or take, you know, 20 years old or so, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. And so at 16, Josiah really began to follow God. He he began to turn his heart to God. And so for our students and teenagers in this room, know this, age is not a limit on your impact. Okay, know that age should not be a hindrance to you making an impact and knowing and stepping into your calling and life. Uh, But then it says in the 18th year that he discovered the law and when he discovered the law, he listened, he shemaed to God and that kicked in even more religious reforms. And so for 31 years, Josiah committed his entire life. He led with a responsive, humble heart to God and he began to see God's glory sweep throughout the religious reforms and he saw the goodness raise up in his nation. And so sometimes the reality is this, our calling is not one and done. Sometimes our calling is something that we commit our entire life to. And so when we look at Josiah and we think, how does this apply to you and to me? I think that we could ultimately say this. We can leverage our strength by committing our time. Okay, by committing our time with our ma'od, with our muchness, with our strength, that means committing our time to honor God and for the good of those around us. Now, time is something that might be difficult for us. Uh, Giving of your time, giving of your strength and your ma'od means to find intentionality each and every day. It means leveraging our time to pour into others and to serve others well. And so the best avenues that we do that through here at Westwood is through our teams and through our groups. And I mean, when we see people leveraging their time for both of those things, it's amazing Uh, because we see people joining our welcome team, our production team, our kids team, our students team, our outreach teams, our missions teams, all of those teams. And they're coming together, committing to something bigger than themselves, joining up in community and serving one another, receiving from God and pouring out. And for our groups, it's whenever we move from rows into circles that we can dialogue and discuss where we can encourage and spur one another on to knowing and trusting Jesus more. It's when we're involved in teams and groups that we realize this isn't just for me, but this is for us. And so if you're interested in that on your engagement card, you can check a box, you write groups, teams, we'd love to follow up with you and help you find a place to really commit your time. But here's a quick note around time. And this is just a little bit of a sidebar. Uh, because I hear this a lot. In fact, I, I kind of catch myself saying it. Um, but whenever I get invited into something, you know, I, I oftentimes say this words. Yeah, um, I just need to find time. Okay, I hear a few snickers. You know, maybe it's just me. All right, but anyone else? Yeah. And, and I think that we're just approaching time as if it's some sort of treasure buried on a beach under an X somewhere. But rather than finding time, what we have to do is we have to shift our mindset to say, I'm not going to find time. I'm going to make time. All right. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to make time to get in God's word. I'm going to make time to show up to worship. I'm going to make time to serve. I'm going to make time to be in community. I'm going to make time to serve others. Okay. It means to leverage our time. And the reality is this you prioritize what you value. Okay, you prioritize what you value. So prioritize uh, serving, prioritize around your time, serving others and leaning into your calling. Okay, that's the first practice to, to commit our time. But now we see Josiah coming into this second practice. And once again, he committed his life to reform, but the way that he did that was that he leveraged people with his governing prow- prowess and the mobilization of the nation. Here's what it says. This is after the law was found, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, the statutes and the decrees with all his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. And here it is. Then all the, ple- all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. And so what's happening here is Josiah standing basically in a city square and he's reading this out and he's saying, this is what we're going to be about as people. And we're going to initiate religious reform. He's setting goals and objectives for the nation. And then he's enlisting people to come along with him. And he's saying, uh, we need you to utilize that which you are good at, that which is a natural talent for you. And so for you and for me, as we look at Josiah, we could ultimately say this, it means committing our talent. Okay, whenever we want to love God with all of our strength, all of our mayod, all of our muchness, it means to commit our talents. And so when I think about talents, you know, it's kind of like, oh, what is, what is a talent? You know, I really think a talent is, is the overlap between skills and abilities and experience. Okay, skills and ability and experience. Okay, think about it. What experiences have you had in life uh, that really formed and shaped you? What experiences have you had that might be different than somebody else's? Uh, okay, what, when in your life, when, what experience have you had that really grew you in faith and as a person? Think about that experience. And then talents or uh, skills and abilities. What, what skills do you have? Are you a big picture thinker or are you more detail oriented? Do you think future or present? Do you have more of a, a musical talent or do you have more of a, a shepherding, kind of encouraging teaching talent as well and skill? Uh, so the talent is the overlap of, between your experience and your skills. In fact, I had a, a gal come up after the service and she just shared with me and she was just excited. She is a widow. And she said, my experience is, is I've lost my husband, but, but I am excited because now I am creating a space for other widows to come together. She's leaning into her talent. She's using her time to bring honor to God and good to those around her as well. And I just love that story. It was so energizing to me. But it means to use our talents. Uh, Really, when you think about it, a skill is something that you're just naturally good at. It's like the air that you breathe. And so it's committing our time, it's committing our talent, but also strength Uh, takes a third step, a third practice. And Josiah, he leveraged his financial resources. Uh, Look at what it says here. It says, In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshalom, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. These are the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dressed stone to repair the temple. And so Josiah invites his counselors in. And he says, hey, we're gonna build the temple. And here's why this is important. Uh, amidst all this chaotic environment, he says, uh, this temple is gonna symbolically stand as the presence of God, saying that we're not gonna worship anyone else, but we're gonna follow the one true living God. And so he's leveraging his, his financial resources and he's making a statement, this is who we're gonna be as a nation. And so as we think about it, as we think about our finances, it really could be this. It means committing our treasure. Okay, the way that we can leverage our strength, our calling means that we bring together and we commit our treasure as well. Now I get it. Whenever a pastor gets up and starts talking about finances and stuff, like it's typically met with some guilt and some shame. All right, I get that. Uh, But here's what committing our treasure means. It means giving your treasures to something far greater than even yourself. Okay, and in fact, Jesus actually spoke about this quite a bit. He said in the Gospels, he says, um, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That there's a connection between what we value and how we spend our money. And so I think what Jesus was inviting us into is just the reflection question. Uh, Do you control your finances? Or do your finances control you? Okay, are you caught up and just making more money and accumulating more stuff Or are you saying, I'm gonna commit my treasure to to kingdom gain, to depositing it, to make the life of those around me so much better, to bring honor to God, glory to God, and to see the goodness of those all around us? Because the reality is, is that if we are tight-fisted around what we do with our money, that may ultimately reveal the places in our lives that we value and the places that we worship. And so how do we discern, how do we discover our our calling, our purpose, our, our strength? Well, just as a reminder, it takes one purpose and three practices. It takes one posture and three practices. It takes a heart posturing that's responsive and humble to God and his presence. And it takes the three practices of committing our time and our talents and our treasures. And as I think about this, I'm, I'm reminded of a time recently in the last month where I, I had a chance to, to kind of step into this as well. Um, about a month ago, I had been hanging out with our student ministry and it was just a blast. And as I was hanging out, I noticed that there was one student in particular who would come in and he was just, he was a riot. He was hilarious. He was fun. Uh, He'd get up and he'd dance. And uh, and anytime we started talking about scripture, he was curious and he wanted to learn. And and he was just a really, really good kid. And it was just a joy to be around him. Well, Well, one Wednesday night, he came in a little bit late. And rather than kind of jumping in with everyone else, he hung around on the fringes and he kept his head down. He didn't look at anyone. And he just had this downcast posture about himself. And his dad walked in and, and I kind of approached his dad. I said, hey, is, is, is everything okay? And he said, my son, unfortunately, over the last several weeks, um, he, he's been bullied on the back of the bus just about every single day. And then his friends at school, they isolate and they antagonize him repeatedly. And I could just see it in this seventh grade boy and how he was approaching life. And my heart was stirred. Actually, my heart broke in that moment. And it was a reminder to me that this posturing, lean into your calling because whenever things seem bleak, whenever hope seems lost, that's when we were called to step into our calling even more. And so as my heart was stirred for this young man and for God's presence to come into his life, I knew that I had to to move towards it. And so thinking through, okay, uh, time, talent, treasure. Okay, treasure, like we commit resources here as a family because we believe what God is doing in and through Westwood Community Church. And so we are about that. We are doing that. Uh, But then we think about uh, time. Oh, okay, it's this reality. I was away from my family on a Wednesday night, and all of our volunteers and leaders and staff, they do that, but they would say it is a worthy endeavor for what is before us. And and then talent, uh, the overlap between experience and skills. And as I think about my experience, I mean, I, I think I thought back to seventh grade. I mean, can we all agree? Seventh grade is crazy. Okay, it's like guns and roses. Welcome to the jungle, like That's what it's like, absolutely bonkers. And so I was able to speak to his dad around that, but then it's also the skills of just knowing God's word and and speaking God's word. And so I wanted to just say, I wanna speak biblical truth into this young man's life rather than the lies that he was hearing from these other kids. And so afterwards, after everything was done, some of the volunteers and staff, we pulled together, we we pulled this young guy aside and, and we just looked him in the eyes and you know he had a hard time looking at us, but we just said, hey, know this. Know that you are safe here. Know that you are loved by your heavenly father, you, that you are a beloved son of God and that you are loved by us. Know that we as a team here, we love you and know that because you are created in God's image, he has given you as a seventh grader, a purpose and a calling. And so friends, for all of us, it's a reminder that whenever all hope seems lost, that's when we need people to rise up. Uh, when, when, when all things seem bleak, that's when we need to lean into our calling. And we do so by by saying, yes, I'm going to have a humble and a responsive heart posturing to the presence of God. And it looks like committing our times and our talents and our treasures. And so friends, may we be that type of people. May we be that type of people who utilize our strength, our mayota, all of who we are, our muchness, to bring honor and praise to God and to see the goodness in our life, but the goodness in the lives of those all around us. Would you please stand with me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you so much that you sent your son, Jesus. Uh, that John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus, you stepped into our world. You didn't run from your calling, you didn't run from your purpose, but you embraced your purpose as well. And as you came, you not only saved us from something, you saved us to something. You saved us from death and you saved us to new life. You saved us from bondage, you saved us to a new calling and a new purpose. And so God, we just pray and ask that as we sing this Shema here in just a moment, that you will give us an ability to hear and to listen and to obey. Uh, Show us where it is that you're calling us. Give us clarity to understand our purpose. But not just that, give us courage to step forward with it as well for your glory and for the good of those around us. And so we pray all of this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. amen.